Well, in the uh, theatrical trailer to the movie True Grit, uh, there's a Johnny Cash song that is featured. Now, I'm talking about the remake, uh, a remake by uh, the Coen brothers. There's a theatrical trailer to their, their remake, True Grit, and there's a Johnny Cash song that's featured in that trailer. The name of that song is, God's Gonna Cut You Down. It says, you can run on for a long time, run on for a long time, run on for a long time. Sooner or later, God will cut you down. Sooner or later, God will cut you down. Go tell that long-tongued liar, go tell that midnight rider, tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter, tell them that God's going to cut them down. Tell them that God is going to cut them down. Uh, last week, and uh, chapter 14, verses 6 through 13, we saw three warnings of the final judgment. And those warnings bring us to what we're looking at today in verses 14 through 20. In verses 14 through 20, we see God's final judgment on His enemies. Uh, just as we've seen in other passages in, in Revelation, verses 14 through 20, develop uh, more fully looking back at an Old Testament passage of Scripture. This time, it's Joel chapter 3, in particular verse 13. There in Joel chapter 3, verse 13, the focus is on God's judgment of the wicked nations. Listen as I read Joel chapter 3, uh, verses 12 and 13. It says, Let the nations be aroused and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Verse 13, put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. In Joel chapter 3, God's judgment on the nations there is figuratively shown to us in two ways. As As a ripe grain harvest to be harvested with a sickle, and as a great harvest to be trampled underfoot in a wine press. In Revelation 14, the verses we're looking at today, John takes both of those pictures and he describes God's final judgment. So if you will, look at your handout. The main idea is the righteous wrath of Jesus poured out uh, on His enemies. And before I go any further, I just want you to know I don't take... Uh, a great deal of joy and excitement today in uh, the sermon. I, uh, I would rather preach on something else other than the wrath of God, but it's there. But the grace of God is also there to, to, to save us from this wrath that's coming. So, the righteous wrath of Jesus poured out on His enemies. Verses 14 through 16, we've outlined it with two points. The first point is the grain harvest. Verses 14 through 16. In verse 14, John writes, he says, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like the Son of Man, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. First notice John sees there a, a white cloud, and there's someone seated on the cloud that John says is one like the Son of Man. That, that's a clue for us. That's something we ought to key in on there. As we've have several times already in our study of Revelation, we need to look to other passages of Scripture, scripture to help us understand the text that we're looking at. 
So, if you go back once again to the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, we read the following. With the clouds of heaven there came one like the Son of Man. And He came to the Ancient of Days, who is God the Father, and was presented before Him, and to Him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. So we see there that there's one like the Son of Man is mentioned there in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. That title is most often... Always, not most often, always applied to Jesus. In Mark chapter 8, especially, verse 31, and in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, and in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, no less than 11 times Jesus claims this title for Himself. So you see there, concerning the words, seated on a white cloud, again in Matthew chapter 24, verse 30, Jesus says the tribes of the earth would see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. In Matthew chapter 26, when the high priest asked Jesus if he was the Messiah, Jesus told him he would see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. In Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, when Jesus was received into the clouds of heaven at his ascension, the angels told the disciples that Jesus would come just as he went on the clouds of heaven. John himself announced in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, when we were there, that Jesus is coming on the clouds of heaven and that every eye would see him. So here in Revelation 14, 14, John sees this come true in his vision. That's what John's seeing here. He's seeing Jesus coming on the clouds. He sees Jesus coming on the clouds of heaven in God's final judgment. But notice how Jesus is viewed in chapter, excuse me, verse 14. First of all, he's viewed as a king. It says he has a golden crown on his head. Not, not, not the crown of thorns as on the cross. Remember that? They crowned Jesus. They put a crown of thorns on his head. It's not a crown of thorns, but this is a golden crown. Uh, the Greek word here for crown is the word stephanos. It means the victor's crown. It's for the one who has conquered. So Jesus is coming in victory. Not to die on the cross, but He's coming in victory. But notice also, secondly, He's, he's coming as judge. And it says, uh, a sharp sickle was in His hand. The sharp sickle indicates that Jesus has come to judge. As we'll see in a moment, He uses that sickle to reap judgment upon all the earth. Look at verse 15. So verse 14, we have Jesus pictured here. He's the Son of Man. He's coming on the clouds. We have verse after verse, passage after passage in the the Old and the New Testament telling us that this is Jesus. Look at verse 15. It says, Another angel came out of the temple calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud. Put in your sickle and reap for the hour, excuse me, for the hour to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. An angel calls with a loud voice. Simple words, right? Loud voice, which tells me all will hear, all will see Jesus. All will hear the angel. The angel gives a command to Jesus. Notice that. The the angel gives a command to Jesus. Now, don't let that trouble you. It it did me when I first read it. I'm like, well, this is God's Word. This angel's giving Jesus a command. That angel commands Jesus. But notice that the angel comes from where? That's important to, to notice. Notice where he comes. He comes out of the temple with this command. 
The idea is that the angel is passing on the command from the one inside the temple. Who is the same one that describes that the hour or time to reap has come. This is God the Father giving the command. He gives the command that the Son will carry out His judgment. In John chapter 5, verse 22, Jesus said, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Look at the, the command there in verse 15. Put in your sickle and reap. For the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. The reason we refer to this as a grain harvest you may be thinking, well, I don't see grain there nowhere. I see grape on down through there, but I, I don't see grain. Well, the reason we refer to this as a grain harvest is because of the words, the harvest of the earth is ripe. That's what keys us in that this is grain that's being referred to. The word ripe means dried up, fully overripe or wither. That's what that word means. And when applied to harvest, it refers to grain that is dried up and ready for harvesting. Some of you who farm here, you're like, yep, I understand that concept. Also, we see the word sickle. Uh, Some of you know what that is, right? You probably used one at some point in time back in the day. It's It's a farming tool. It has a short handle. Some of them do. Some of them have long handles. It has a short handle with a curved blade on it. It's really sharp. How many of you remember the old Soviet Union flag? They had a sickle on it, right? Think Grim Reaper. When you see the Grim Reaper, what is he holding? He's holding a sickle, but it's, it's a longer sickle. And if some of you are going, I don't understand, Google, right? That'll help you find out anything you need to know. Notice the command is to put in your sickle. It means to thrust with great force. Then it says reap. Begin harvesting. Thrust it in with force and begin to harvest. And there's two reasons. For the hour to reap has come. The hour, literally the time appointed has come. God has appointed a time when Jesus will come and He will judge the world and now this time has come. Why is Jesus coming to reap? For He's coming at the appointed time. And secondly, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. Again, ripe means dried up and withered. The grain, the earth is past its usefulness. Past its value, God says the day of grace, listen to me church, the day of grace is gone. No more grace. That's what's being said here. There's no grace no more. It's, It's gone. The earth is fully ripe. It's past its usefulness. God has come and grace is gone. Verse 16. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth and the earth was reaped. I Googled this week. I followed my own advice. I know what a sickle is, and I've seen one used, but I just wanted to watch it one time or a few times just to get in my mind how they use those things. Some of them squat down. They have a little handheld when they do this, but I noticed some had this long sickle, and they would, they would hit that wheat, and it would just take a great wide swath of that wheat. Grain does not stand a chance against the sickle. You've ever seen it being used? You, you, you notice that many stalks of grain all at once, at the same time, they fall in just one sweep. You get the picture? 
That's exactly how it will be when Jesus comes to judge His enemies. He'll swing His judgment across the earth and the earth will be reaped. Unbeliever, the person sitting here today who has never repented of their sin and trusted in Christ with the forgiveness of sin, you are the grain. It doesn't matter how physically strong you are. It doesn't matter how tough you think you might be. You compare yourselves to other human beings and think, I'm tough. I'm strong. I can deal with that. But can I wake you up to something? This is not another human being. This is Jesus. You'll be standing against Jesus on Judgment Day. You will not be standing against other people. Instead, you'll stand against the Creator God, the Lord Jesus. You are grain and He is the sickle. On that day, unbeliever, you'll fall like dried up grain. On that day, across all the earth, Jesus will reap a judgment harvest. There's coming a day when God's appointed time will come. And... uh, it just escapes my mind, but I think Jesus even says in the New Testament, He doesn't even know the day or the time. God the Father is the only one who knows that day and that time. God's appointed a day when the command will come and Jesus will come to judge those unbelievers, His enemies. And this is what we see here in Revelation chapter 14, verses 14 through 20. Now, <clears throat> the second picture of final judgment. There's a great harvest here. Verses 17 through 20. John writes in verse 17, Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. So you have another angel. He comes out of the temple in heaven, same as the one before. And because there's no physical temple in heaven, the reference to the temple in heaven again points to the presence of God. That's... Figuratively, that's what that's pointing to. The angel also, uh, like the Son of Man in verse 14, has a sickle that's sharpened for the harvest. So this judgment is coming. And it's, there's, a, there's a twofold picture being presented to us here. Uh, I think the first one would be enough to get our attention, but the second one is really... Well, let's just look here. Verse 18. Another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, put in, same thing, forcefully, put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth where its grapes are ripe. So we have another angel come. Notice that he comes. This is very interesting here. This is why words and paying attention when we read are so very important. This angel comes out from the altar. We ought to be thinking, have we seen this somewhere in Revelation already before? Yes, we have. This is the altar of incense. It's the same altar we saw in chapter 6 and chapter 8. 
I point this out because this connects the judgment we see here with the prayers of the saints. If you go back to chapter 6 and chapter 8, you'll see the prayers of the saints being offered at the altar of incense. And where does this angel come from? He comes out from the altar. And the answer to the question in chapter 6 verse 10 is finally answered. Chapter 6 verse 10 says, And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Remember that prayer that was being prayed? There's once more a connection between the prayers of the saints and God's judgment on the earth. God hears and He answers the prayers for justice. Notice verse 18. The angel who has authority over fire. Fire in the Bible symbolizes holiness, purity, and judgment. This speaks to the angel's role in judging God's enemies. The angel brings God's command to gather them for judgment. Gather these in for the judgment that's coming. And he called with a loud voice, once again that loud voice, to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. The harvest here clearly represents judgment. This is figurative. This is symbolic language representing the judgment. The second angel commands the first angel with a sickle to begin this great harvest. Notice there the harvest is widespread. Gather the clusters from the vine of the earth. Bring it all in. Why the judgment now? Notice it says, for the grapes are what? There's that word again. The grapes are ripe. The word ripe has the idea of being fully ripe. At its peak, ready for harvesting. The earth in its wickedness, evil, rebellion is ripe for the picking. Ready for the judgment harvest. Sin is completed. The wicked have filled up the measure of their sin. God's enemies have grown and cultivated the full measure of sin rebellion for the overwhelming display of God's justice. In other words, God's appointed a time when a rebellious, sinful world reaches the limit and God knows when that time's coming. He's appointed a day when He will come back and judge. Those who have oppressed and murdered Christians, these will be judged and they'll suffer God's wrath. This passage reminds us that God sees every sin that is done against His people. He hears every cry for justice. And at the final judgment, He will repay in response to His people's prayers. That's one aspect of the judgment. The people are praying, How long, O Lord, are you going to wait before you judge those? Those who reject the gospel and oppose God's right to rule the world. These two will be judged and will suffer God's wrath. This judgment will be so awful that we should pray for those who persecute us. You're going, wait a minute, they're praying for those who persecute them, for God to carry out His justice for them. Yes, and rightly so. This is going to be so horrible that you and I should even be praying for those who persecute us, that God would save them and redeem them from this day. And we should pray for those who are not saved and far from God. We don't want anyone to face God's wrath. I mean, we're all human beings. We've got people that 
you know, they do things to us. And it makes us angry and we may not like them. I know this is hard for us to swallow. Even people steeped in radical Islam. We pray for God's justice to come, but at the same time we pray what? God have mercy. We don't want anyone to face God's wrath. Unbeliever, here today, by your actions, by your thoughts and affections, your life is ripening now for this harvest. If you're not trusting in Jesus, you're, 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 you're grapes ripening for the wine press of God's wrath. The longer you go, you're building that up toward that day. Everything you do prepares you for this harvest. Everything you do prepares you for this day. Notice in verse 19, what is the judgment that's coming? Again, so the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grapes, excuse me, gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great wine press of the wrath of God. Verse 19 is very clear. It depicts the certainty of judgment of unredeemed sinners at the end, at the appointed time that God has set. There is no way to avoid it. That's what this verse is telling us. God is upon this day. It cannot be avoided. In chapter 6, verse 16, there was a vision of the unredeemed seeking to escape this judgment. They, they find no refuge, it says, from the face of Him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. You'll not be able to hide. You'll not be, you cannot get far enough away. This sickle, when it sweeps, does not catch you in it, unbeliever. When the angel swings the sickle, he'll gather the entire grape harvest. And notice what it says there, and cast it into the winepress of God's wrath. God's enemies, the lost, the unredeemed, are compared here to grape clusters. And they're cut down. And not only are they just cut down, but they're thrown where? Into a winepress. Now, a winepress in biblical times... Again, Google will be your friend here. Uh, a wine press in biblical times consisted of these two uh, containers or uh, vats, if you will, and they were placed at different heights or, or levels, and the grapes were placed into the top one, and people would get in there and trample on them with their feet to extract the juice. Some of you are cringing right now. I ain't never drinking Welch's again. <laughs> They would put those grapes in there and people would trample on their feet to extract the juice which would then run into a lower vat to be, to be gathered. God is like the one treading the winepress. God's enemies are like the grapes to be crushed underfoot and, and their lifeblood is like the vine that will flow out of this. Again, the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 63 says, I have trodden the winepress alone. And from the peoples, no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood splattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption had come. Lamentations chapter 1 verse 15. The Lord has trampled underfoot almighty men in my midst. He has called an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord trampled as in a winepress the virgin daughter of Judah. Verse 19 describes the moment. Listen, church. Listen, lost person. Verse 19 describes the moment when it's all over. Grace is gone. 
And there's nothing left but God's wrath. All the deceiving powers of the sins that look pleasing and attractive, all the false promises and false enticements and all that appear to be satisfying now will be exposed for what they are by the outcomes they produce. In other words, it may be fun now, but there's coming a payday. Payday someday. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. You ever heard that sermon? Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Verse 20 figuratively describes just how severe God's judgment will be on all the wicked of the earth. And the winepress was trodden outside the city. And blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. Notice that John says that the winepress was trodden where? Outside the city. Again, figurative language here. This is figurative for the rejection involved in God's judgment. The city refers to Jerusalem, representative of God's salvation city. God's enemies are put outside the covenant of salvation, never again to have an opportunity to come into that covenant. This is the leaving out of unbelievers from the family of the redeemed. Hebrews 13, 12 speaks of Jesus being crucified outside the city of Jerusalem. It says He was crucified outside the gate in order to sanctify the people. Jesus was crucified outside the city in order to show that He was bearing the guilt, the curse, and the shame of our sin. This is no coincidence that Jesus was crucified outside the city and these will be cast outside the city. They will will miss. One commentator says it was there that He, Jesus, gave Himself to be trodden in the great winepress of the wrath of God. That's what was happening to Jesus on the cross outside the city. He was in the winepress of God's wrath. It was there that He gave Himself to be trodden in the great winepress of the wrath of God, bearing our sins and absorbing their punishment so that we might be clothed with His pure and holy righteousness. Now, in the same hour of Jesus' return, judgment comes to the same place, outside God's city. There the rejecters of the grace that flows from the cross suffer the wrath of God. This judgment they have chosen for themselves by reason of their unrepentant and ungrateful hearts. Verse 20, again. And the blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. Those are some strong, harsh words, are they not? Once again, we have figurative language, exaggerated language, if you will. It's intended to describe just how severe God's judgment will be on the wicked of the earth. The point is to show the universal extent of God's judgment. It's designed to communicate the total defeat of all the wicked. It says that if blood will flow high enough that the horse will have to swim in it. Uh, 1,600 stadia, most of you have... Your Bibles may have a footnote there. 1,600 stadia is is the distance of about 184 miles, which is roughly the length of Palestine. In other words, it will cover the whole world. 
That's what that figuratively means. It will cover the whole land. This is figurative language to say that God's destruction of the wicked will be complete. It will cover the entire world. No one will be overlooked. No one gets away. No mercy. No grace from God at the end. I read this and I say that God's enemies are like grapes stomped underfoot. In other words, lost person, you don't stand a chance. Some of you here today shrink back or you are opposed to the idea of God's vengeful wrath. This passage for you seems to be out of place with your idea of God's love. What you fail to realize is that it is precisely because of God's love for righteousness, truth, and peace that He responds so severely against evil. According to God's Word, Revelation 14, the penalty that sin deserves is awful, is it not? I read this and that tells me how just how bad and how horrible sin is that God would have to punish it in this manner. You want to know how God views sin? Revelation 14. You want to know how God looks at sin? He's not the big man upstairs winking or sweeping out of the rug here, is he? Full, complete wrath. No more grace. Judgment. If you die in your sin, if you die never having repented of your sin and placed your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, if that is you, you, listen to me, you send yourself to this judgment. You send yourself to hell. You won't be able to say as you're cast into hell, that's not fair. You won't be able to say that. Because there's other places in Revelation we've seen where it says every knee will what? Bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. Hell is, and it will be populated by people who said in life, I still have time. Hell is full of people who said in this life, not yet, until it was too late. Don't think, because you're young, that your sin is indifferent to God. You do not know the day when you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You need Jesus to be your Savior today. Not put it off, not wait. Nor should those of you who are old think your sin has gone unnoticed before Almighty God. All sin will be punished and every last offense against God's perfect rule will be paid in full. A cup of wrath contains punishment. And outside of Jesus, there's no escaping this judgment. Outside of the blood of Christ, there is no escaping the everlasting eternal punishment of hell. Christian, Revelation 14 should cause you to ponder and meditate on the grace of God toward you. I won't be there. Praise be to God. That on November the 12th, 
1987. The Spirit of God broke into my hard heart and I bowed on my knees and I called out to God for forgiveness of sin. I repented of my sin and that day, grace came upon my life. God's wrath was forever removed from me. Never again have to worry about that. Sealed for the day of redemption. 1987, that's a long time ago, wasn't it? I get familiar with my salvation. I forget just what grace came into my life that day. I forget how good God has been to me that He would let me hear the Gospel and then He would give me faith to believe that Gospel. Christian, this should cause you to ponder and meditate on the grace of God toward you. And then on your hand that I put this. Revelation 14, 14-20 is also a reminder for Christians that the last day is coming and it calls us to be ready. Who's your one, church? Say it on the pew today, Christian. Who is your one? We've talked about that. We're going to talk about it more in the days to come. Who is your one person that you can focus on for one year praying that God will give you the opportunity to speak in this person's life the hope of the gospel that they will miss this day. Who's your one? Who's that one person God's placed in your life with whom you need to call on to flee the wrath and the judgment of God? One person. One person. Let's pray.